0: Well, thanks so much for, for joining me today. I'm very excited to to chat with you because you've been in impact investing for a while now, it seems like, and even before it was cool, like we were saying before before we jumped on, let's talk a little bit about your journey just within impact investing and, and really sort of agriculture, sustainability, regenerative agriculture now is becoming more and more of a, of a trending topic in term. So just talk about your journey throughout impact investing, and then we'll get into kind of what you're up to now, because you're doing a ton of stuff.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. It's uh, it's it's always a lot of fun to join other people's podcasts and, and see <laughs> how people are doing it and and to learn. It's really it's really fun. So I'm I've definitely been in impact investing for a while. I mean, there have been people obviously active in this for way way longer um, and moving their own capital, etc. But I joined an organization called Tonic, I like gin and Tonic, but uh, the gin already mm-hmm. existed, so we are called Tonic with double I. Um, in I think it was October. So Uber eight years ago, so quite a few years ago, wow. we were very small. People were already investing, obviously, according to their values for a long time, sometimes uh, religious base, sometimes just uh, mm-hmm. general values. But we were born in San Francisco and Silicon Valley with a number of people that came into wealth and basically wanted to invest according to their, to their values and started digging deeper and deeper into um, if their money was st- staying in a bank, what was actually happening with that. If they would invest in a typical, um, let's say, venture fund, what would happen with that, et cetera, et cetera. And they just started mm-hmm. investing at the kitchen table into some of the early, uh, let's say, Global South um, solar companies. Some are still around, like d Light, et cetera. Like back in the day. This is really back in the day. And uh, that grew like quite quickly. More and more people that either uh, sold their company or companies, serial entrepreneurs, or come from a family or people coming from a family of wealth uh, joined because they wanted to... I always say they want to sleep at night and be sure that their money wasn't somewhere in an oil pipeline, uh, but was actually doing something good. So there's quite a difference between do no harm, like the first bit, like I, w- I want to be able to sleep at night and know nope. that my money is is OK, doing not, maybe not amazing things, but at least not horrible things. Right. And then there's the second, obviously, like, OK, I want to actually drive change. And, and there is quite a group out there. And we, Tonic is a community of active impact investors that seek deep impact, a deep net positive impact, because all investments were very aware of that have also negative, a deep positive impact, sorry. have negative impacts. Whatever you do, if you build solar panels, there's some materials involved. If you, I mean, there's there's hardly right. a negative impact to avoid, but we're see, seeking deep positive impact, net positive impact as much as possible while making investments. And it's a very informal nonprofit group. Like we're a peer group. We're not a, we don't give investment advice. We don't touch the money, but our members are people that are moving their capital in many cases across all asset classes. Uh, to impact and which means they have to choose different banks in some cases, they have to move their public equity portfolios, they have to move their direct impact uh, investments like the D-Lights we discussed before or SunFunder or, or Tesla, some of them have been involved in, uh, in Tesla and others on the very beginning, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's very, very diverse. We have members in 28 countries, probably when this airs, we have some others. In North America, Europe and Asia, and some in uh, in Africa and also Latin America. So it's very global, but the questions are always the same. How do I put money to work? How do I make sure I can measure the impact? Uh, how do I ask questions to all the fund managers that are suddenly saying, like when you say, now no, it's hip, everybody's putting the SDGs everywhere in their presentations. So how do I know which one is real and which one is not? Right. And with those questions, we try to help them by connecting them to others, by providing community, others that are on the same journey, to connect them to education, to really uh, go deep on how do you actually do this uh, piece of impact investing and connect them to deal flow that comes through other members. So we really try to be that platform, obviously now mostly online. Like it used to be quite a few in-person events. Uh, That's currently not happening as we're talking uh, April 2021, hopefully soon again, but we'll do a lot of things. Uh, We continue to do a lot of things online.
0: You spoke a lot about, you know, where you could put... Uh, into public companies like Tesla being right? Like public. What are some of the areas like from a n from non public, right? Like non, you know, markets and exchanges, but you know, maybe more, you know, startups or companies aren't quite public yet but maybe you're on that trajectory is there a lot of conversation in that market around sort of investing in startups right around sort of whether it's food and agriculture whether it's you know climate tech is pretty big obviously right now or anything within the you know, sustainability realm and tech realm and technology is pretty big is there is there a lot of conversations around early stage uh, investing
1: yeah i think it's it's an excellent question because there's a lot of talk and when i mentioned tesla I think many would argue now, many impact investors in general, that if you buy it on the public uh, markets, it's not that you're adding anything like the yeah. the, the markets are there they're active yep. so i think many would have potentially considered it an impact investment back in the day way before they were public and when it wasn't so easy uh, to get access to money and that get actually gets into your your question could you even make impact on public equities there's a huge debate a within question. our community uh-huh. uh, can you is there any additionality from whom are you buying it maybe at the ipo stage maybe not so mm-hmm. there's a lot of interest and rightfully so because a lot of mm-hmm. our members and a lot of impact investors are ex-entrepreneurs or are entrepreneurs still and they obviously get very excited about the earlier stage stuff because that's where you can have the biggest potential impact obviously also the riskiest Mm -hmm. and so there's Mm -hmm. definitely i would say there's a lot of attention on the public stuff but mostly from people setting up uh, strategies in the bigger banks etc there's a lot of excitement around early stage, around funds, uh, trying to to be active in anything from carbon removal to healthcare, obviously, to education, to gender lens, gender rights, etc. It's it's very vibrant, like it's there are so many funds now that didn't exist 10 years ago yeah. that are tapping that are act, like really active on this early stage piece. Of course, it's very difficult for an individual investor to do early stage investments yeah. unless you have deep roots in Amsterdam or deep roots in yeah. nairobi or and so many choose to do a few of those and then go the second route of investing in a fund that is um is approaching a very specific vertical for instance or a specific geography in terms of uh, impact investment. So I would say most most are active in that piece and it's an important part of their
0: portfolio. You said earlier, trying to measure the the impact and that's a it can be very difficult to do that, right? It is how do you know what things are, are are working well, or what things actually have the impact that that you want to see, right? How are you guys doing that now? Like okay, I just at Tonic, for for example, or are you using certain platforms and software to try to measure this type of stuff? Are you building out your sort of own backend engine that sort of measures measures certain criteria? How do you how are you looking at like measuring this type of stuff? Yeah, I
1: think it's a it's a very difficult topic i think Mm -hmm. we can fit we can fill i don't know how many conferences on it (laughs) just on that and it's the measurement and then the management like what are you Mm -hmm. doing with it actually uh, which makes the biggest difference like we do a lot of our members do a lot of work on this and Mm -hmm. um, we try to bundle that we try to share that we try to make sure that they have access to the latest thinking there we try we share some of that on our website and like but it's a very difficult one because we've created the full financial system Around one measurement, which is the dollar value or the euro mm-hmm. value, whatever. Yeah, right. And to start measuring, of course, CO2 is already easier because we have a lot of a lot of standards around it. But as soon as you get into the social space, it becomes very very difficult. So we're usually, and it becomes very bur- burdensome. So if you ask a fund, an early stage fund, that has maybe 20, 30, or 50 million under management, that did a number of investments to measure 10 things across companies, of companies that are active in different sectors, mm-hmm. it becomes almost, you have to almost hire one person specifically just to do the impact measurements. Yep, and we've totally. seen that there's a, a, a very strong demand from investors, but nobody really knows what they actually want to measure. And so it's an enormous amount of surveys, questions, et cetera. And we're really, it seems to me, actually personally, we're in that early phase of, of figuring out, okay, what are the key metrics but it depends enormously which sector you're active. Like if you're in agriculture, you're looking at water, you're looking at uh, carbon, obviously, but you're also looking at how you treat workers, et cetera. If you are in health, it's very, very different. What's accessibility, et cetera. If you are in transport, could be kilometers safe from yeah. uh, a transportation via diesel or petrol. Could be so. It's an incredible, but there's a lot of work being done and, and a number of my colleagues and especially our members are going very deep into, into that but it's not, it's not a done deal. There's not one platform that makes it easy. Okay, let's just measure all the social impact and we're, and we're done with it. We are asking a lot of uh, what we're enabling our members to do, our Tonic members, is to ask their investees. So what are you measuring and why? Like, okay, you, you run an early stage fund, focus on climate tech. Okay, what are you measuring? How are you measuring that? And report that back. So you have to do it only once and then we can share it with other investors that look, these are the metrics that they use. Not that every investor is sending their own metrics to every fund which means the fund has to do 10 different or 20 different metric sets and basically is completely is spending way too much time on metrics and not on investments so it's a very it's very tricky
0: yeah maybe a, a small fund to fund uh measurement and analytics companies around social pack would be like i mean you see it happening on carbon now
1: like around climate tech and yeah. carbon emissions for for larger corporates etc there, there are companies coming up every every other day basically yep. that that promise to make it easier and a few of them for sure do.
0: Yep. I want to chat a little bit about your sweet spot, so to speak, which is agriculture and specifically regenerative agriculture. And I want to kind of get a little bit in the details and the weeds, because I think it's still a term that is not, you know, broadly sort of, you know, understood at, at its base level of like, actually, what does that, what does that even mean? You know, what is it? Right. So like, can you even just define it? The, the
1: tricky part with regenerative agriculture is that there isn't a definition because by definition it's a journey like there yeah. the thing of regenerative agriculture is that it builds soil i think that's that's almost everybody can agree on that that's in the sector it is a, a type of agriculture it's a, a set of uh, approaches used by farmers land stewards land managers etc or in the oceans where we're now seeing regenerative aquaculture coming out that of it. is predominantly focused on how to rebuild the soil and that goes that that sort of by definition sees like our soils are very very degraded that's the first thing everybody should know it's like every everything you see in terms of agriculture land but also forests that seem sort of okay relatively green relatively 99 is degraded and so some are very 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 degraded so our current agriculture system is is broken because we're mining we're destroying we're degenerating our main asset which is our soil and we've been doing that for a long time there's not, nothing to blame like the last couple of years we only done it a lot faster the last couple of yeah. years the last couple of decades but agriculture is running uh, against uh, against time at the moment like we're running out of healthy topsoil which is the main thing that uh, that where stuff grows out of so all our food fiber yeah. and oils uh-huh. comes out of 20 centimeters to a meter or maybe a bit more of topsoil and all the life in there we know very little about but it seems everything suggests that the the more life there is in the soil, the better it is for food quality, the better it is for carbon storage, which is why I got mm-hmm. into the space. The better it is for health, the better it is better it is for water storage, which is absolutely essential in a drier or wetter mm-hmm. world, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So we all we all benefit from a healthier soil. The issue is. Our current agriculture system is completely built around mining it as much as possible and making sure it's uh, it's basically run down. And some people say we have 60 harvests left or 40 or 100. That doesn't really matter. It depends on the place where you are. The, the truth is that I think over 2 billion acres of agriculture land is severely degraded. And most of the rest is in some phase of mm-hmm. also degradation. Like we're going slowly down or fast down. And now the question is, how do we turn that around? How do we start putting carbon back into the soil? How do we start uh, restoring the soils that we completely depend on? Because we know from history, many, many civilizations have the, completely disappeared because their agriculture system and soils collapse totally. in the Middle East, in the Mayas, et cetera. And we we don't have that luxury because we don't have other places to go. Like this is sort of the, the and, and agriculture is by far... The biggest land user, which means whether we like it or not, whether you believe in climate change or not, whether you, we have to fix agriculture right. um, because it is the biggest land use we have. It's a bigger water use, the biggest chemical use in the world, the biggest fossil fuel industry. It's, it's quite an important one, together obviously with renewable or with energy as a sector.
0: Well, what are you seeing that makes you optimistic that we can sort of reverse the trend of degradation? From the topsoil specifically.
1: So I definitely see. So just to take one step back, I got very interested. I stumbled upon on this movement of farmers that are really focused on regrowing their soil about 10, 11 years ago, and really got interested in the carbon piece. Like how, because healthy soil has the tendency to store a lot of carbon, to hold a lot of carbon. Not forever. In some cases, it gets released. It's sort of a currency. It flows through the soil, but in the process, it takes a lot of soil, a lot of carbon from the air which is very useful, obviously, for, for us at the moment. 10, 11 years ago, there wasn't too much. There was a tension, but in very small pockets. Mm-hmm. And what makes me very optimistic is that until relatively recent, we, recently, we thought that building topsoil is something that uh, you have to ask to a geolo- geologist, meaning it takes 10,000 years. Or a lot, like it's way out of our lifetime to ever right. think about potentially wow. restoring, et cetera, et cetera. And then came this generation or this group of, uh, this movement of farmers that have always been there. Like they're indigenous tribes that have managed their soils for four or 5,000 years in Mexico mm-hmm. in very bad circumstances and still managed to continuously harvest so we've done it we've just not done it very uh, let's say very large scale or very um, applied <laughs> across the globe so what gave me hope is that i saw this this movement of farmers that were proving that it could be done in a decade like you could take really really bad soil like you see these pictures left and right like horribly degraded everybody yeah. can see that it's it's not a place you want to be it's practically desert and then in 10 years in the same just changing the management so the same um, the same weather probably even worse uh, happened and by just changing the management the the place came back to life or came very managed. Like it's not that you put a fence around it, you leave it. You have to really actively engage, but it's definitely possible in 10, 15 years, some places a lot faster, some places take longer. I mean, if you go to Brazil, stuff grows a lot faster and you can do an agroforestry system in in seven years. In other places, it takes a bit longer. But what gave me hope is that it's definitely possible to restore very, very degraded or semi-degraded land and and bring a lot of life biodiversity grow a lot of food because we we have to feed our planet yeah. store a lot of water and store a lot of carbon and to answer your other question there's a lot of attention a lot of money i wouldn't say yet i think it's coming it's definitely coming there's there's an enormous amount of attention at the moment if you search like google search on soil the last couple of years mm-hmm. it's exploded and now we we as the movement have to figure out how to to somehow harvest that attention or take some of it to uh, to put it really to put it to work and to make sure we start, because these processes still go relatively fast, but still, if you have ten years, you need it's better to start last year than this year, yeah. and and it's better to move and plant that tree or plant those trees or change those uh, those practices as soon as possible, because we're running out of soil and thus we're running out of
0: time. Is that why you think that? Well, I want to phrase it that way. Is that perhaps why a lot of investment and money that maybe could go into regenerative agriculture goes into sort of lab grown products, maybe some of that money can be deallocated from lab grown stuff to just revitalizing mother nature, so to speak, and that soil.
1: Yeah, I I think there's the the attention, the alternative protein space gets is definitely ahead of of the regenerative egg space in terms of hype cycle. The yeah. amount of money, the amount of talent and resources uh, is, is amazing for them. But I think if you look at, even if you would replace tomorrow all, all animal protein, and I think uh, factory farming should end yesterday. Like there's no reason yep. to put any, any animal in a, in a factory and feed it whatever um, mm-hmm. source of, of cheap fuel you found somewhere else. Um, But even if you would end that tomorrow, you still have to regenerate all these landscapes. And what we're seeing is that it seems to be possible to do that without animals, but it seems to go a lot faster in many circumstances to regenerate uh, landscapes with animals. Then there's the second question, should we eat them or not? That's a separate debate. And I think that really depends on personal views, that depends on how we as society evolve, that depends on the role of the animal, in a sense that uh, there are a number of animals like pigs and chickens that have a very interesting role in terms of food waste and turning it into a protein that could be very, that is very valuable. In terms of ruminants, they have a role on grasslands that there's no other way we can turn those grasslands. We can keep those grasslands healthy unless we get a lot of bisons back or very large ruminants. So it's a very nuanced discussion, which it's not at the moment. And I, I always hope that some of that attention and resources and brains, honestly, because we need so many of those smart people to hopefully start looking uh, beyond the alternative protein space, and think, and we actually—I've interviewed a, a vegan cheese company that does that. That actually went beyond and said, "Okay, what are the ingredients? Oh gosh, we're using a lot of cesu, uh, uh, cesu, um, a lot of nuts that have an enormous water and carbon footprint. Let's start switching to beans, and let's start actually asking questions on the growth of these beans. Like, how are they grown with our farmers? How can we transition more farmers to practices? Because if those beans are sprayed, like..." I don't know what kind of uh, chemical toxic mix, like you didn't really fix the problem. You just pushed yeah. it a bit down. You just kicked the can down the road. So I think as, as soon as people start asking a few follow-up questions beyond the protein space, we hopefully get a lot of very, very, very interested, motivated people that are starting to think about landscape regeneration, We're starting to think about ocean regeneration. And... Start thinking about beyond the ingredients. Like this stuff has to grow somewhere. The sugar exactly. that goes into these reactors has to come from somewhere, yep. and you just don't want that to be another hugely chemically driven monoculture.
0: You mentioned that there are there are you know farmers or collectives doing things regenerative sort of practices that are sort of working. What what are some examples at scale that that can at scale have a regenerated? impact like what are some of the practices or
1: the interesting piece it scales really well don't underestimate the transition farmers need to go through i mean the scale depends where you are like like all of this obviously it's very very context specific the approaches you use or the practices are very context specific um for instance if you're in the netherlands 300 hectares is very very big if you're in kansas it's very very small Uh, if you're in australia it's nothing Mm -hmm. um but we've seen examples and there's a great book actually growing a revolution by david montgomery um, who is a geologist and stumbled upon this soil building <laughs> movement that visited farmers literally from 0.5 acres to many, 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 many thousands. And this has been written five years ago and the movement only has grown since then. And basically what he saw from the small farmer in Ghana that's, that's been pro, uh, basically applying agroforestry, so being uh, like applying very complex uh, growing methods to the large scale farm in Australia or the large one in in Texas he saw the same principles meaning being never leave the soil bare basically you mm. don't want to have naked soil ever 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 in the system because the only time that happens in nature is when uh, there's a desert so there's there always has to be something growing because you want to capture the sunlight at the end a farmer is a sunlight capture turning it into sugars. That's what you do. you do that through plants and you do that through grasses, you do that through trees. But at the end, you're a solar entrepreneur because you you take the the input is the sun and you want to turn it into something. So if you leave your land, basically fallow for six months a year, it means you miss six months a year of sunlight. It could be the winter, it's less sunny, but still it's a lot. So you have to think in a very different, like how do I maximize the amount of sunlight that I turn into something useful? How do I avoid making it too easy for pests to show up? Meaning monoculture, one plant in one field, very very risky. So what are people doing? Successful examples on thousands of acres is making it more complex. Maybe sowing two, three, five, four, five times of different uh, different grains, for instance, and making sure you can harvest them at different heights, at different mm. moments in the season. Complex. You have to really figure out. You probably have to sure. change your machinery, etc. Very interesting from a farmer perspective because you can tinker doing very complex cover crop rotations of 15 types of cover crops that basically in the season when you're not growing your cash crop, you just grow different types of, which is very, very profitable if you then let animals graze on it because you can sell the animals. Mm. So complex rotations in time, which means on the same moment you have different crops, but also over time, meaning the next year, you're not going to put the same crop at the same place again, because then you know the soil, like the pests in the soil, like the the different diseases are just going to be ready. They're just going to wait for a oh, free yeah. lunch that's coming. Ooh, there's <laughs> grain again. That's interesting. <laughs> so you have to also rotate over time over different fields. And that's that's not easy. I mean, that's really, it's not just the, the normal plug and play. You really have to figure out what works for your fields, for your circumstances, for your markets, because you want to get access to premium markets, because you deserve that, because you have a better quality thing. But that's not always easy because you might be in a place where there's not even an organic grain silo or an organic a process to go into so your your stuff is anyway mixed with everything else and you get the commodity price so there we see a lot of potential for innovation not only on the practices that really the farmers are discovering or rediscovering the machinery that has to change the information mm-hmm. technology the drones yeah. the satellites etc yeah. but also in the markets like who's going to sell this stuff at scale to the bigger processors or maybe set up new food brands is going to explore this whole discussion on food as medicine. Like, can you show healthy soil leads to healthy produce, leads to healthy gut life, to healthy people? And what does that mean? And how do we sell that? And how do we explore that further, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So there's this whole, literally from the farm to our our plate, from the fork. We have to reimagine what agriculture and land management can do. But that's going to create an enormous amount of new businesses, opportunities. Yeah transition finance vehicles, technology. I mean, I'm talking to satellite companies that are measuring your soil carbon to tractors, robots. You, you can name it and it's there. As long as it's always, the first question is, does it build soil and does it build soil faster and help the farmer?
0: That, that was my next question it is we're, sort of living in obviously a golden age of technology and obviously AI is sort of, you know, coming into its own. Are you seeing like technology play a major role? And like you said, getting these farmers to maybe figure out how they can meticulously grow certain things at certain heights at the best time of the year, right? Like this seems like a job for technology to cover to make it easier to do this at, at scale.
1: Absolutely. There, there's a lot of things happening. We are going to, we just started, but probably by the time is not out yet, but we started a, a series specifically on technology in regenerative agriculture right. and the podcast we're hosting. So we've been um, recording podcasts basically for my own interest because I, I wanted to hang out with people that are well, doing yeah. interesting things <laughs> in this space. I don't have the money to be an investor. I don't want to be the farmer, uh, but I wanted to spend an hour with somebody that's building the next drone technology or scaling up his farm or her farm or building a food as medicine company. And it got a bit out of control. So we're not. Now at 120 <laughs> episodes or something. Um, but we're doing a series on technology, like specifically, okay, how do we scale regenerative agriculture to a landscape level? So we really start asking the bigger questions, like, okay, look at a river. What's the watershed? How can we regenerate the full watershed and why are the Places and places we need to intervene first, what are the farms we need to work with, et cetera. And there's, there's a lot happening there, there's a lot missing, um, but there's definitely, these are big questions like you asked, like you said, these are technology questions, what to plant where, um, how to harvest different things at different times, how to monitor giant fields and which are not just one crop, but actually different crops, how to see which ones might need a bit of water or not. Where do we see that might be there? There's going to be a pest. When are plants sick? You can actually see that from space. Like you can see and follow plants. At a level for a farmer, it's not yet visible. Sometimes it is. a Farmers have very good intuition. They start seeing like, okay, that area, sure. that that right. corner yeah. of the field, something is off, and then maybe the satellite tells you yeah, actually something is off. Like, make sure you apply some biofertilizer wow. or do something. So it's it's very exciting. Like it's the golden age of uh, we can start imagining things that we couldn't. Like a farm without fences, for instance, because there are virtual fencing companies now that give the cows or the cattle a collar that basically. You can GPS like a, a line on your phone and the cows won't cross that line because they get a, a sound that they don't like. Mm. And they basically get trained by, by following the line wow. or basically staying away from the line, which means you can remove, imagine for wildlife, what that means. You can remove all fencing, which means you can manage way bigger properties. You can let wildlife cross all the different borders that obviously they don't understand borders because they don't know borders. Yeah. Simple things like that, hardware plus software plus AI, because then you can do prediction mm-hmm. prediction yeah, things yeah. on grasses. Are gonna revolutionize how we how we even look at landscapes because you're maybe not gonna see fencing anymore for a long time for which is very exciting. And that's why we probably got got hooked with yeah. the podcast and just kept interviewing people on and, and but also financial structures, like how do we come up with crowdfunding platforms to put money to work in this space? How do we make it accessible for normal people like me? Because it I is. also want to want to do things. How do we set up food companies? How do we how do we explain soil to consumers? Because it's not, it's very complex, way more complex than organic, which is yes or no. Like it's very simple. You follow these processes, that's that's you're organic or you're not. This is like, oh, I'm somewhere on a journey and I'm still doing that a bit, but I'm it's very like, how do we do that? That's what we're going to figure out.
0: Yeah. And I think that you're like tonics in a really cool place because you could actually incubate companies, right? Like eventually you could do cohorts of, you know, a few companies a year and you have the funders willing to, to fund these companies, but then you you also can show them what companies they should build right or like oh don't do this don't do that but like i think you're in a really cool spot to where you have the investor side and then figure out how to bring you know entrepreneurs into into the tonic ecosystem to you know incubate them and help them build the companies that you know that's needed
1: it's super interesting but it's really not our role like we we made a very conscious decision to <laughs> to be on the investor side we're a very non- small nonprofit. I mean, we're paid for our members pay a yearly membership fee, we don't take any deal cut or anything like that. And uh, it's it's we're a very small nonprofit helping investors to deploy more of their capital into impact. And it's always tempting, because we see a lot of companies, we see a lot of funds, we share a lot of them with our members, obviously, our members share a lot of them with each other. Mm -hmm. And but we have, we've I think played with the idea, but like completely at the beginning to maybe start a fund or something. Yeah. I'm very happy we never did because many other people are much better at that. Yeah. And we, we need to help our members who are investors that, that own, uh, that have wealth, that own portfolios to deploy more of that. And it's up to them to to maybe bundle together and dive such, deep into food and egg. And it's super tempting. Eh? It's yeah, really. It's so tempting. We we are we work for the investor. We work with the investor. We stand next to the investor, which is already a like a difficult enough journey.
0: I love. Uh, it's so smart, and it's. And it's, other people
1: are setting up the incubators. They do. I mean, the uh, people they, are setting they, up funds. People are setting up uh, startup studios, which are super or venture studios, which are super exciting. Uh, just one is getting started actually on, on regen region food and egg, like really figuring out this way of how to build companies um, for specific verticals more at scale, et cetera, et cetera. And our members are investing in those and are participating, et cetera, et cetera. But we, as Tonic, we, we can't. We need to be, we, we are the community of active impact investors, and we need to be. We need to yeah stay close to us because otherwise it. it just gets too complicated.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I wanted to go back to one thing you said earlier, you said something about satellites and land. So are you saying like uh, essentially like the satellites can give almost like an MRI, right? Of like a body. Is it, it's almost like an MRI of land?
1: I'm obviously not the expert and it's, there's a lot of public de- public satellite data available, which is less accurate as far as I understand. And then you can run obviously a lot of AI on it to, to understand, okay, what does this picture mean of that plant? There's more other ones that if you pay more, you get a lot more details, which means you basically go smaller. But you can do a surprisingly amount of things looking at the health of your fields. Actually on a field level, you can say, okay, this area of of this and this crop is actually suffering. Because satellites don't only look uh, of course, clouds are an issue if you want to just take pictures, but they have radar as well. They have other uh, other measurements and instruments. So there's a surprisingly amount of things that you can do. You cannot look into the soil yet. Uh, it's not that you can measure the soil carbon. People are saying that and promising and, and things that I don't think it's possible yet, but definitely correct me if I'm wrong. But you can definitely follow the plants as they go through the season. You can pass over multiple times a week or even every day. and You can really see uh, what's happening often before um, like plants breathe, plants live, they're a living thing. And you can right. see often before uh, they get sick, already some symptoms or you can see, obviously you cannot see that they're, they're walking funny, but they definitely grow right. slightly different. And so their prediction is, is very useful. And then if you go to the agroforestry space, so the trees integrated into um, agriculture, which is super exciting part of, of agriculture, you can start obviously following these trees over time and over the years as they get slightly bigger and you can start picking them up. And then you have the whole drone side where you can basically yeah. fly over slow and you can see a lot more. And, but then always the question comes, okay, all this information, how do you translate think, that yes. into a, mm-hmm. a decision-making thing for the farmer that tells him or her, okay, here there's a problem, do something about it, or this is not a problem, this is not going to be a problem, don't worry. Like, yeah. how do you make decisions based on all this, this giga and terabytes of data <laughs> that you can actually get off a field, which is super overwhelming. So it, the question I think a lot of farmers will ask, okay, what do I do with this? Like how does a day-to-day help me managing my ranch better or managing my cropland better? How do I minimize irrigation if I'm irrigating? How do I minimize biofertilize? How do I minimize the amount of times I have to pass over with the tractor to do certain treatments if I'm mm-hmm. doing that? How do mm-hmm. I manage it more Um, Effectively, efficiently first, but effectively, I think is the next step there. So it's it's great to have all the data, but then what do you do? Hundred percent. I
0: like to end on a little bit about the future. What maybe you're optimistic about, excited about, or maybe some of the you know goals that you're working on at Tonic or other ventures that that you're working on over maybe the next you know three years. What do you want to see get accomplished? Right from from personally, from the podcast or from the platform you have from a Tonic perspective, just. Everything you got your hands in, you know, what do you hope to sort of accomplish in the next three or five years?
1: Yeah, so definitely <laughs> help, uh, hold me accountable to that. But uh, <laughs> to start with Tonic, we I'm very excited because we just launched in, I think it was November last year, a working group focus, So with our members focused on uh, regenerative food and ag, which obviously has been a dream for me because I've been with Tonic for uh, seven, eight years. I've been following this space for 10. But in Tonic, we always look very broadly or I always look very broadly. I was working with my members on, on many different uh, areas. We now have a working group. We have different ones, actually, climate, uh, oceans, inequality, and also region food and ag, where we come together monthly. We share deal flow and it, there's energy. So I'm very, very happy after many years of annoying my members with, you have to look at soil, that there are now enough members that are like, "we have to look at soil. So we we are sharing deal flow. Uh, members are investing. Funds are being popped. So I'm hoping that in a couple of years that that's way more active and that there is a, a good group within Tonic that is deploying a lot more of their wealth that is designated for food and agriculture into deep regenerative stuff. Because one of the reasons I started recording the podcast is that I, when we surveyed our members at Tonic, they always said, oh, food and ag is really important, very interesting. But then if you looked at their portfolios, there wasn't too much in it. So there was that gap of interest, but no mm-hmm. deal flow. Right. I think the deal flow is coming. I'm not saying it's all there yet. There are definitely funds. There, There, there is a lot. So we cannot say anymore the deal flow is not there. So I hope in a couple of years, because all of this takes time, but that that gap has been filled in a sense, okay, I wanna do more in food and ag. Oh, uh, six months later or a year later, I found all the things I was looking for and I've moved uh, big pieces of my portfolio that I had liquid or I had available to food, region food and ag and I'm happy with it I'm happy with the impact measurements they're doing they're tracking the carbon they're tracking the water they're tracking the people etc so that I hope in a couple of years that we don't have that question anymore like okay I'm interested in so what do I do and so actually mm-hmm. there's a whole there's there are a lot of members that have experience now that have invested in these things that have that maybe their second generation funds coming up etc in terms of the podcast we're in the middle of a process to set up to really try to connect our community better to each other. It's often through me, uh, which is great. People reach out, I try to introduce them to others but yep. it's definitely not scalable. Um, so we are in the process of launching uh, a dedicated online community for the, the listeners of the podcast where they mm-hmm. can connect to each other, connect to uh, people that we've interviewed to ask them questions, where we can host a lot more webinars, where we can really grow this beyond the once a week podcast we're doing, which is reaching its limit because we need more space. Like we have more stories yeah. to tell. We're following yeah. people over time. We, we're doing more of these series, like I mentioned on technology. Um, and so the once a week, which we can scale to two, but it's still, it's still limited Yep. It's only a hundred a week, a hundred a month, a year. So we're <laughs> in the process of launching that community, which hopefully comes over the next month or so, uh, a beta launch to really start connecting our audience to each other, because there's so many amazing people that are listening, building things, investing in things, funding things, wanting to work in things, et cetera, et cetera. And they deserve to be connected to each other and not just reaching out to me because then I'm limited uh, how many introductions I can make or how many calls I can do. Um, So that's the big thing for for the podcast. And the second one, we're going to use that community to start really following um, the people that are building regenerative enterprises in food and ag. So they're not just super ambitious in terms of soil regeneration, which is sort of first bar like you have to be super ambitious in terms of soil but also super ambitious when it comes to inequality um, access to land like the big other questions that are around food and agriculture that are that need to be answered we need yeah. to answer why certain people have access to quality food and others don't why certain people have access to a lot of land and why others don't why certain people etc 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 um so i'm i'm very excited and we already started with that honestly to start uh, to have more space to regularly do interviews with them, but also to do potentially video, who knows if we can do that, to start following these people over the next decade, because this is a long-term yeah. thing yeah. Totally. as they're building and to share, okay, what works, what doesn't, um, look back f- three months and, oh, this didn't work. It didn't happen, et cetera. So we're going to be following the, I think the coolest people that are building stuff in our space and uh, a number of them already agreed. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So those will be the big, hopefully in three years, we have a whole, um, like we we follow many of them and many of them have successfully built things because that's of course, otherwise we, we, we failed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Kuhn. It's been an amazing conversation. I knew it would be best of luck the rest of this year. And, and Thank you so much. To- yeah three to five year work. yeah uh just excited to see what you guys keep continue to build what you continue to put out as well i know how hard it is so keep keep the grind going you know it's uh, keep I going know, i think that's big, the biggest difference
1: in podcasts it's uh i saw it like there are 2 million podcasts out there now, but only 41% or something had more than three episodes. So I think we're both already way over that. So we're in the, yeah. in the, the lucky few.
0: Yeah, I just think if you love doing it, just, you know, I, I think having guests on like this, right? Like having interesting, amazing people talk about what they're passionate about is like a great way to spend your time. <laughs> you know, Absolutely, just on a personal yeah. level, right? And it's like, if other- I'm people very like, lucky, yeah. Yeah, with that. that's how I think about it. So uh, best of luck, my man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much and have a great day.